Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome in, everybody, to a special edition of Future Brew on maizeandbrew.com. We're recording a little later than we normally do uh, during any given week, and that's because today, as of this recording, February 2nd, it is National Signing Day, the February edition, the less sexy edition as it's come to be now since the early signing period in December has been a thing. Uh, But John Simmons is here with me to discuss everything that uh, really, I'll put it this way. I was going to say everything that happened today, John. I feel like we're talking about everything that didn't really happen today because as far as Michigan goes, absolutely nothing happened. No commits, no signed players, nothing. But we do still have some things uh, to discuss here. But uh, John, how are you doing today, man? Yeah, it was pretty boring. I don't know. Like we're used to... Uh, you know, not much happening on the signing day under Harbaugh, but now it's this year was really uh, not much action at all. So, you know, usually it was a big day for me. I would be glued to my computer and stuff, but not really today. I didn't really pay it that much attention, to be honest. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Usually I'm like I'm all over Twitter and like the tweet deck that I have with all the recruiting tabs 
and whatnot. I'm usually just like, like you said, glued to it all day long today. Uh, it just the complete opposite. I could not care less because I kind of knew that these things were going to happen. Michigan wasn't going to sign any players and all of that was kind of evidenced by Jim Harbaugh, not even being in town. And we'll talk about that later on uh, and how that affects recruiting, but there were still a few interesting developments on the recruiting trail. Let's just start with a player that was committed to Michigan, was not signed during the early signing period, but he still was verbally committed to the Wolverines until, uh, as of this recording, like just until like 15 or 30 minutes ago, very recently. Uh, and that was Cavante Henry, the 6'4", 225-pound linebacker, edge rusher, from Lawndale, California. He was a four-star at one point, but dipped back down to three-star territory. He ended up flipping his commitment to the Oklahoma Sooners, which to me, John, is a very interesting place for you to flip to if you're Cavante Henry, just because it seemed like all along he originally committed to Michigan back in June. And a huge reason for that is because of Courtney Morgan, the now departed uh, player, uh, personnel director. Uh, he is now over in Washington. So I kind of just assumed he would follow Courtney Morgan to Washington, but honestly, it didn't really even seem like the Huskies had much of a chance in this one because Cavante Henry visited Arizona and a crystal ball for Arizona had come in at one point uh, to flip him from Michigan. And then a late visit to Oklahoma kind of swayed everything in this recruitment. So all the crystal balls pretty much flipped to Oklahoma right before the signing uh, ceremony that he had at his high school. Uh, So yeah, he is uh, now going to be in Oklahoma sooner is officially, I guess now in Oklahoma sooner now that he put pen to paper. So John, just want to get your quick reaction on this one, because I didn't really think, Oklahoma was a major player here until really late into the process. And sometimes that's just how it goes. Yeah. I was surprised like you when Courtney Morgan left, we all just kind of assumed he'd go to Washington since that was, that's what he said. The reason was for him decommitting, but excuse me, he ended up taking, you know, officials to Florida. He went to Oklahoma. He went to Arizona. I don't even think he went up to Washington unless I'm mistaken. Um, so who knows what went on there? Maybe um, their head coach didn't like him as much or something, but uh, he clearly didn't want to be at Michigan. So, uh, you know, Oklahoma was able to snag him late. Uh, I don't know what made him think he went, you know, what made the experts think that Arizona was ahead, um, you know, enough for them to put in crystal balls, but Oklahoma, you know, made a late push there uh, under Brent Venables. You know, it's understandable. I think why, uh, someone like Henry would want to go play for, uh, you know, a big time defensive coach like Venables, um, who's, you know, not they're They're still getting a good amount of buzz on the trail, even though Lincoln Riley left and USC is kind of killing it right now. I think Oklahoma's still done a pretty good job of uh, recruiting themselves. So, um, you know, they have a good class and, uh, you know, it's a good pickup for them. Um, but, yeah, kind of strange on the Henry front for sure. Yeah, this whole thing has kind of just been strange from. Uh, the beginning, I guess, of I, the the beginning to me really was when Courtney Morgan left. You kind of just felt that he wasn't going to end up signing during that early signing period. That's exactly what happened. And when he didn't sign during the early signing period, 
to me, that's kind of a decommitment in and of itself, even though he didn't announce anything. He never went public with it or anything. But to me, if you have an entire recruiting class end up signing on uh, the, I guess the first day of the early signing period, and he's the lone guy that didn't. And then to me, that's that's kind of a nonverbal decommitment, uh, even though it wasn't really officially uh, made public up until today. So uh, good luck to him at Oklahoma. Hopefully it works out. Brent Venables is getting a very solid pass rusher that Michigan wanted uh, at one point and kind of just uh, completely cooled off and backed off on that recruitment once Courtney Morgan left. So, yeah, uh, I, I just got a glimpse of the article from 24-7 Sports about why he ended up going to Oklahoma and no mention of Michigan in that article whatsoever. So it seemed like he had completely moved on, felt very comfortable with the Venables and the staff at Oklahoma, and hopefully it works out for him. I'll, I'll be wishing him uh, the very best of luck and I hope all of you guys that uh, follow Michigan recruiting uh, as much as John and I do, uh, do the same thing. So let's move on to another player in this 22 class that Michigan was in the running for for a little bit. And uh, it really evaluated him uh, before anybody else, it seemed like. And that's Andrew Paul, the uh, three-star running back from the state of Texas. Uh, the final three in his recruitment were Georgia, Michigan, and Clemson. The crystal balls were pretty split heading into signing day, and uh, he ended up choosing Georgia, uh, which was uh, kind of another stunner to me. I thought he would end up going with Clemson, uh, but Georgia pulled it off here to get the five foot eleven, two hundred twenty pound running back from Dallas. Uh, his composite ranking has just soared since Michigan evaluated and offered him. I want to say he was in like the eleven or twelve hundreds. When Michigan offered him, he is now at 534 overall on the composite. So he, he shot up at least 600 spots on the composite right before signing day. Ends up going with Georgia. They're getting a very talented running back. He had a monster junior season. You don't see this kind of stat line very often. He had 271 rushing attempts for 2,612 rushing yards and 41 rushing touchdowns. Also had 14 Receptions for 208 receiving yards and three touchdowns through the air. So really talented running back, really good job, like I said, by Michigan to evaluate him and offer him late into the cycle when they knew that they wanted to take another running back and they thought that they had one via the transfer portal, uh, the Arizona State running back train him, but he ended up going to Ohio State and flipped from the running back position to play linebacker uh, it, with his hometown team uh, of the Ohio State Buckeyes. So really interesting development here late in the process at the running back position. Uh, in my opinion, John, this is just a swing and miss on Michigan's part. I thought that they really tried to go all out with him. They offered him. They got him on an official visit. But unfortunately for them, Michigan was the first of the major official visits that he took. He later visited with Georgia, later visited with Clemson. This is one of those recruitments that it, it could be the visit high wore off too soon. And then he saw all of these other Southern schools and uh, maybe just saw something that he liked better in those schools. So you got to give Michigan credit for sure for uh, scouting him out, offering him super late into the process. And then having, unfortunately having these other major programs jump in and uh, throw their hat into the ring as well. Uh, he'll be heading to Georgia 
Just want to get your thoughts real quick on this recruitment here, John, and Michigan's endeavors here at the running back position moving forward. Yeah, it looked like uh, Michigan did a little too good of a job identifying him and causing some attention for the big schools like Clemson and Georgia to notice. Um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate because I think, you know, Georgia really started looking around after um, their running back, one of their running back commits, Jordan James, um, looked like he was going to flip and he ended up flipping to Oregon today. So I think Paul was kind of their insurance policy. And uh, once he was gone, uh, you know, Paul was given the green light to commit and become the second back in the class there. And, you know, it's hard to blame him going to the reigning national champs who have always used their running backs so well. You know, they have a really long history of producing NFL backs. So, you know, just kind of got to give kudos to him going from a unknown three-star to ending up at Georgia is a pretty big leap. And uh, Michigan would have been happy to get him, I'm sure, but they'll have to kind of roll over to the 23 class and try to land two backs there probably now. Yeah, probably, or just go through the portal like they kind of have been trying to or tried to at the very least. Yeah, because it really just seemed odd because, yeah, Michigan offered him before all of these other schools did, and uh, it just came up short in the process because Michigan offered him the day after Christmas. Subsequently, he had offers come in from Washington and then Clemson. The day after that was Notre Dame. A week later was Oregon. Uh, And then Georgia was the last school to offer him. And Georgia was the last place that he officially visited. So, yeah, you got to give major kudos to Mike Hart and uh, the staff for, like you said, identifying him this late into the process. Uh, But it's just uh, unfortunate that he wound up elsewhere. So, yeah, Michigan's going to have to look to the 23 class or the portal they're probably going to want to take multiple ones since it looked like they wanted to take more than one guy in this 22 class. But 2023, there could be good news on the way. They could be getting a commitment at the running back position as soon as this weekend. Uh, some crystal balls are coming in uh, for Cole Cabana, the uh, three-star in-state running back uh, from Dexter, Michigan. So we'll certainly see if he ends up committing to Michigan this weekend. I believe his uh, a ceremony at his high school, uh, his commitment ceremony is on Saturday afternoon. So uh, we'll certainly keep you guys all posted on that one uh, as that one develops. But yeah, running back, they're going to want to take several uh, in this upcoming class here in 2023. So let's just uh, take a quick look, John, at uh, the Big Ten as a whole in this 2022 class, because as of right now, Michigan has the number three class in the Big Ten, just behind Penn State and Ohio State. Ohio State having the number one class in the Big Ten, Penn State at two, U of M at three, and then rounding out the top five are Indiana at number four, and then Michigan State at number five. So just taking a quick look, Ohio State's got a couple really good five-star players committed in this class. Uh, Sonny Styles is a, a five-star safety a player that Michigan had uh, recruited very early on, and uh, he just ended up going with Ohio State. He's from uh, Pinkerington, Ohio. I believe that's where Jake Butt is from as well. So I had some connections there, but ended up going to Ohio State. And then another in-state player for Ohio State, five-star C.J. Hicks at the linebacker position, five-star, number seven overall in the country. Uh, really good pickup there for Ohio State. And they've got several other top 100 players at the position. Caleb Brown being a name that sticks out to me. 
a four-star wide receiver that Michigan had recruited for a really long time and uh, just didn't work out for them. And yeah, just a really solid class uh, from top to bottom for Ohio State. And then Penn State's got three uh, five stars, according to 24-7 sports, at least. But on the composite, they've got two. Nicholas Singleton, a running back, a really good player that uh, Michigan had also recruited. And then uh, perhaps one of the best quarterbacks in the class, Drew Allar at uh, 6'4", 232, also from the state of Ohio. He committed uh, and signed already with the Penn State Nittany Lions. I believe he's an early enrollee as well. Uh, so he is already getting a jump start at his uh, collegiate uh, career in Penn State there. So yeah, just uh, comparing Michigan to these two classes here, I mean, it's pretty clear that uh, Ohio State has above and beyond the best class in the Big Ten. Um, you just look at the rankings and it kind of just speaks for itself. They've got like seven or eight top 100 guys. Penn State, uh, they've got a few really good guys at the top, and then it starts to kind of trickle down at the end. Uh, they got a few other four-star guys, but then just uh, uh, some other three-stars thrown in there as well. Uh, and one of the players that uh, Penn State has, Drew Shelton, uh, at the uh, tackle, offensive tackle position, another guy that Michigan recruited very early on, but he uh, committed very early on to Penn State. So, I, I really like what I see out of these two classes. Penn State has more guys than Ohio State does, which makes Ohio State's class that much more impressive in my mind. So I'll just toss it over to you, John. Um, it, I just really like what I see from all three of these classes. Honestly, Michigan from top to bottom, in my opinion, has a really good class as well. Yeah, I think it's a pretty standard year. Um, usually you just kind of flip. Penn State and Michigan and it would be you know what the Big Ten kind of shakes out to be the last few years but you know Penn State's class um, in 21 was not up to their standards Um, they only took you know a few like 16 guys and were ranked outside the top 20 but they really uh, you know focus more on the transfer portal and then on this class so you can see that kind of paying off with a number six class in the nation and then Ohio State is actually a little bit lower than what their usual um, status is, you know, fourth in the country. Oh no, what was them? But um, they're, you know, behind the heavy hitters and I think kind of by a pretty significant margin. So, you know, they have a little bit of catching up to do, but, and, you know, it was a disappointing season for by their standards. Again, this is all with the big, you know, Ohio state caveat um, and most other schools would be killing for their class, but, um, you know, they have a high class average, didn't take that many guys, um, but maybe you'd expect them to land one or two more bigger pieces in a normal year. So I think Michigan did, you know, this is a pretty standard class for them in the Harbaugh era, um, lower half of the top 10 with a, you know, player average um, in that 89 to 90 range. So um, I think it's, you know, they did good at the end to close out with a few top 100 guys. Um, I think they have a pretty good middle class of their uh, class here with uh, guys like Darius Clemens and Zeke Barry and Jimmy Rolder who, and Mason Graham, even who might still be a little underrated um, that, you know, the composite never really had a chance to catch up on, but uh, we'll just see how it plays out in the next few years. I think, you know, if and when Harbaugh leaves, he's going to leave the next coach with a pretty stacked uh, roster. Yeah. The way that they ended the recruiting class, Michigan, really impressive with 
being able to flip a Morian Walker, the wide receiver from Notre Dame, and then sign all of those guys on the defensive side of the ball. Keon Sab, Derek Moore, I mean, really the list goes on and on for the defensive guys that they got really late into the cycle. Really impressed with how they ended. We'll certainly see how it continues moving forward with this whole Jim Harbaugh situation. We'll get to that in just a second because I want to hear thoughts on that, John. Uh, but just rolling through the rest of the top five of the Big Ten, want to uh, just point out a couple players on Indiana's recruiting class here. Uh, they got, actually landed a top 100 player, which I would have to go back and look when the last time uh, Indiana football actually did that. I, I can imagine it's probably been a pretty long time. Uh, but they landed Desan McCullough, a six-five, uh, two hundred and thirty-five pound defensive end. Uh, he's from the state of Indiana, I believe. He was actually committed to Ohio State at one point as well. But ended yeah, up- his uh, his dad was a coach at Ohio State, and then went to Indiana, and then his dad actually just left to coach somewhere else. I can't remember where, but uh, him and his brother, who was another you know stud guy, both. Yeah, uh, had to come out and say that they're still committed to Indiana. So that's kind of the backstory of how Indiana got him. Yeah, so really nice pickup for Indiana, regardless of how you get it. You take those wins whenever you can if you're the Hoosiers, especially coming off such a, a bad season like they just did. So really nice addition there for them. And then Dominic James was another guy that Michigan had kind of been after for a little bit, didn't recruit a ton there, uh, but he did have a Michigan offer. He's a, a 6'2", 295, a defensive tackle at 291 overall on the composite. He played at IMG. Really nice pickup uh, from those two players along the defensive line for Indiana. And then just want to talk about Michigan State real quick and get your thoughts on a couple of these guys here, John, because Michigan State, uh, this is one of their better recruiting classes they've had in quite a while, uh, ranking 22 nationally and number five in the Big Ten. My favorite player in this class for them, I, there are a few guys that really stand out to me. They've got a few really nice players that Michigan probably could have went after but didn't for whatever reason. Antonio Gates Jr. is a uh, solid receiving prospect. He's from Dearborn, Michigan. Obviously, his father is Antonio Gates. That Antonio Gates, the one that you probably remember from the NFL with the uh, San Diego Chargers at the tight end position. Dylan Tatum being at the safety position from West Bloomfield, obviously a guy Michigan recruited we've talked about quite a bit. Alex Van Subren, the uh, four-star defensive lineman that was once committed to Michigan and then flipped to Michigan State when his brother Ben had transferred from Michigan to MSU. And then uh, kind of like how I was alluding to my favorite prospect in the class for them is actually their quarterback is uh, Caton Hauser from uh, Bellflower, California, number 225 on the composite. Really nice player at the quarterback position. So it, it's kind of scary to look at it uh, because Michigan State had a, a really solid year on the gridiron this season, but the, the future could be really bright for Mel Tucker and the Spartans. As, as much as I really don't like to say it, I really like what they've got building uh, in their recruiting class here. And then they're number eight nationally in the uh, 2023 class, really off to a hot start, have three out of their four prospects as four stars. And they just got a commitment today from Andrew DePape, a, a, a 6'5", 245 defensive lineman from the state of Iowa that Michigan was recruiting as well. And I think that is a phenomenal pickup 
for Mel Tucker and the Spartans. I really liked him. I uh, really wanted Michigan to go hard after him because I think he's a really talented defensive lineman, is just going to be a monster uh, in the Big Ten at some point. So, John, just want to get your thoughts on Michigan State's overall recruiting and uh, their 22 class that they uh, just signed here. Yeah, I think their 22 class was good. It was kind of more of what their fans expected out of Mel Tucker following last class, which I think only had one four-star. So they're upgrading there. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys like Jaden Mangum and Antonio Gates um, where a lot of Michigan fans were wondering why they weren't going after them hard, harder this cycle. And uh, Michigan State was able to kind of reap the benefits there. I like their quarterback, Hayden Hauser, who they flipped from Boise State. Um, I think he's going to be a good guy for them, too. And then, you know, they're hitting the transfer porter really well, too. Um, you know, I wish Michigan would be able to get as many transfers as uh, Mel Tucker has been able to, getting Jarek Broussard from Colorado, the running back who was a, a Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. He had Jalen Berger from Wisconsin, who was a four-star coming out of high school. He had a cornerback from Georgia, Amir Speed, who started a few games for them. So, you know, they're really filling out their roster holes well. And so if they can find that right mix of, you know, getting a good freshman class every year and then plugging those holes in with transfers, I think um, they're going to be have a lot of staying power and upgrade the level of talent they had under Mark D'Antonio. Yeah, I agree. And I, as much as I really hate to see it unfold and hate to see it happen, I mean, it's and, and hate to talk about it. It's you can't just leave that uh really untalked about because I it's kind of crazy that Mel Tucker his first season at Michigan State obviously wasn't a great one during the uh, pandemic shortened 2020 season but then coming out guns blazing this year uh, being really good on the recruiting trail uh, in the transfer portal like you mentioned they're they're picking up really nice pieces left and right so they're looking to be a staying power in the Big Ten for years to come so uh, kudos to them for being able to do that so quickly over in East Lansing, especially with how D'Antonio kind of left the program. Speaking of one coach who left his program at Michigan State, let's flip over and we'll have our final discussion of the podcast today be about Jim Harbaugh potentially leaving his uh, alma mater here uh, at University of Michigan to be the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings in the NFL because it's looking like that's what's happening. Chris Ballas from the Wolverine, uh, a couple days ago, had a report that said that Jim Harbaugh was pretty much uh, planning on leaving and that he wouldn't have went to Minnesota to interview for this job if he didn't already have the job in hand. Obviously, there have been a couple of things floating around on Twitter refuting that. John U. Bacon had a really good and a very long tweet thread kind of detailing everything that is going into play here for Harbaugh. And it sounds like it's not as done of a deal as it might sound or, or it might have originally sounded, but there's a lot of information going around at this very moment that we're recording this. And if this is all outdated, uh, that would just be our luck. And I apologize for even talking about this, but moving forward, John, I'll just get right to the point here. If Harbaugh ends up leaving for this Minnesota Vikings job or, you know, whatever, it it could be that job, the Dolphins, whatever NFL job uh, that he leaves for, this is going to obviously have a rippling effect on recruiting. And uh, obviously the roster as a whole, as we know it, 
as of right now, the current guys on the team, uh, you would probably end up seeing a mass exodus of players going to the transfer portal and pretty much going wherever they please because that's kind of what the transfer portal has become. And if your head coach leaves the university and, and he was the one that originally recruited you and you were originally recruited by this assistant coach with Jim Harbaugh and, you know, act, whichever assistant coach it is, if he ends up leaving the university, if and when they hire a new head coach that wants to bring in his own guys, then you're just in a massive amount of trouble uh, as far as the roster goes. You would probably have very few kids who would actually want to stay uh, on the team at that point. So in my opinion, John, I think if he ends up taking another job, the, the roster next year is going to be it was already going to be completely different because you had guys like Hutchinson and Haskins and all of these other great players leaving to go to the NFL or uh, graduating or what have you. It's really going to look a hell of a lot different next year if Harbaugh ends up leaving and you bring in a completely new coaching staff and pretty much just clean house at that point. It's what I would imagine would probably happen. You might be able to keep some assistant coaches here or there. But uh, I would say for the most part, unless they hire internally, I think that would be the one saving grace of that. If they hire like a Josh Gaddis or whoever at that point to be the head coach, uh, I I think they would be able to retain a lot of the players and a lot of the assistant coaches, which means they probably wouldn't have too big of an effect on the recruiting trail for the immediate like the 23 class, you could have some of the 22s bail out of their uh, uh, letter of intent, but obviously that's remained to be seen because nothing has officially happened. These are all just my thoughts, John, and I want to get yours. I'm uh, out of breath at this point. So what do you have to say about all of this? Would it have as negative of an effect on the recruiting trail as I think it would? Let's hear your thoughts, pal. Yeah, it's definitely going to have a major effect. You know, there's a lot of momentum Michigan had coming off the Big Ten and playoff appearance um, that's going to be just halted and uh, they'll have to start over with their new head coach. Um, I think the best uh, chance for Michigan to maintain uh, as much of that momentum as possible would would be making an internal candidate and kind of going the Notre Dame route of uh, promoting internally keeping most of their assistants as many as they can. And then uh, just kind of, you know, keep the same path, go after, uh, you don't have to shift your board as much. Um, You you don't have to rebuild those relationships um, with a whole new coaching staff. Um, So that's probably the best way uh, for Michigan to capture as much of their recruiting momentum as possible. But if they want to go, you know, for an external candidate and, you know, swing for Dave Aranda or Luke Fickle or Matt Campbell or whoever is out there, um, you know, they're going to want to bring in their people. Um, you know, their Harbaugh did bring back a lot of guys with Michigan ties, um, you know, former players in Hart and Bellamy um, and guys like that, Elston, that um, make them a little harder to replace. Um, you know, I think a new coach coming on would like to, to keep a lot of those guys just to um, for continuity sake and to not anger, you know, the alumni base and everyone as soon as they get there. So um, I think they could maintain some of their assistants who um, also seem to be their top coaches and recruiters. So I think that would be nice. Um, But, you know, it's never going to be as good as we thought it would be back, you know, at the beginning of January, end of December um, coming off a big 10 championship. I think 
the fan base will have to lower their expectations a little bit um, and just kind of hope that whoever takes over the job has good energy, you know, is familiar with recruiting and puts an emphasis on it because they're really going to need to hit the ground running here and put a lot of effort in the trail to stop the bleeding and uh, kind of continue on. They're going to have a pretty good roster to win some games. And I think there's a good opportunity to keep the machine rolling here, but it's going to take a lot of work. I couldn't agree with you more, man. I, I think they, if they do hire externally or, or really whoever they hire, the, the emphasis has to be recruiting because the game has been changed forever with the transfer portal, with name, image, and likeness. It's really been changed forever, and you have to have a forward thinker when it comes to being the head coach of a college football program because it is literally changing as we speak every single day. The college football landscape is changing, and I think it's for the better for the most part. Obviously, there's a few kinks here and there that could probably be fixed, but for the most part, I think the way that college football has evolved is a good thing, especially for the student-athletes who are now able to compensate from their name, image, and likeness. But yeah, they they absolutely have to get somebody who's forward-thinking, who puts an emphasis on the analytics, like much kind of like how a lot of these other college football coaches do. Um, and with the way that the NFL is evolving as well, uh, the college game kind of um, inspired the NFL to change in that way. So you got to get somebody who really knows how to recruit and really just is a grinder on the recruiting trail who, who doesn't just want to um, – know, be average and, and just take in a few good guys here and there. Like if you're Michigan, you want to hire the guy who wants to get the best talent. And obviously it's not always possible just because of uh, NIL stuff, not really being in Michigan's favor at this moment. Maybe that'll change in the near future. We'll see. But yeah, I, I, I think whoever it is that ends up, you know, again, this is all speculative because Harbaugh isn't officially gone as of this recording. But if they do end up, uh, having to make a new head coaching hire. I, I think they got to have it really be a forward thinker on the recruiting trail. And, and just uh, with the way that things have evolved, they really got to hone in on that and really hit the ground running, looking for that new head coach. If word manual hasn't done so already, um, John, any other final thoughts from you, my man, uh, as we wrap up this incredibly boring and uh, a snoozer really of a national signing day. No, not really. I'm just kind of looking forward to the spring visit period being open again and seeing what goes on with that. Because, like I said, there's going to be a lot of shakeup coming soon. So just to kind of see who Michigan goes after. Yeah, it it very well potentially could be a really boring next uh, couple weeks as far as recruiting goes. Just because if Harbaugh does end up taking this Vikings job, Shit's going to hit the fan pretty much when it comes to evaluating kids and and who's going to keep an offer and who are the new coaches or coaching staff or whoever, who are they going to go after? And are they going to keep some of the top targets the same like Dante Moore? Very interested in seeing what happens with that recruitment and a few of the other in-state kids that they've been going after. So um, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we'll be able to talk about Cole Cabana committing to Michigan uh, on next week's podcast, and it won't be all doom and gloom. We'll have some sunshine and rainbows. We'll see, but uh, we won't know till we get there. So until then, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Vaughn underscore Lozon. John, 
where can they find you on Twitter? At Simmons underscore John. And follow Maze and Brew on all your favorite social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Insta. We're all there. Give us five-star reviews on all of our podcasts. We would greatly appreciate that. Go check out our YouTube channel, too, Post in the Blue by 90 podcasts and the Brewcasts whenever we are able to post those on the YouTube channel, usually uh, two or three of those posted per week. So uh, go subscribe and uh, support the YouTube channel as well. And uh, we thank you once again for uh, spending some time with us here on Future Brew. For John Simmons, my name is Vaughn Lozon. We'll talk to you guys next week and go blue.